You're listening to In It Together, the podcast. I'm Arun Roth. Today is July 15th, 2020. Ahead on the show, in Massachusetts, the coronavirus is infecting communities of color at three times the rate of their white peers. We'll hear from the Black Boston COVID-19 Coalition about their work to ensure recovery from the pandemic is equitable across racial lines. But first, let's run through the coronavirus headlines we've been following. 580 people are currently hospitalized because of the coronavirus. That's up by 20 from yesterday. Meantime, there have been 142 new confirmed cases and 75 new probable cases of the virus, bringing the total positive cases statewide to 112,347. 27 new confirmed deaths and one probable death were also reported, bringing that total to 8,368. And Massachusetts Attorney General Maura Healy's office has received more than 1,000 reports of unsafe working conditions or practices after she established a coronavirus-specific complaint line. A spokesperson for the office says Healy does not have the authority to sanction businesses over most of the alleged violations, but as Healy is reviewing the complaints and working directly with employees who have spoken out about their experiences to local authorities. More than 60% of the total positive coronavirus cases in Boston are people of color. Statewide communities of color are getting COVID-19 at three times the rate their white peers are. That's according to June data from the State Department of Public Health. It's a trend we're unfortunately used to reading and hearing about. As the state continues reopening, the Black Boston COVID-19 Coalition is working to ensure recovery is equitable across racial and economic lines in the city's neighborhoods. Here to talk more about that is Dr. Atia Martin. She's a member of the coalition. Dr. Martin, thanks for, thanks for calling in. Oh, it is my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Arun. So first, tell us a bit more about the mission of the Black Boston COVID-19 Coalition beyond the, the line that I just gave there. How was it founded? So it was actually um, started by um, the Black Economic Justice Institute, uh, which is led by Priscilla Flint Banks. Um, and it was through her experience with her mom passing away and the, her struggles um, with trying to get information about her mom um, that really um, amplified even more the work we were doing. Um, so um, and the work uh, that we're doing in terms of the mission really is about making sure that black people, uh, the community and businesses are able to get access to all of the care, the support, the resources that are return on investment in their communities and in their cities and state um, to be able to not just come out of COVID-19 in the same place we were before, but this is an opportunity for us to actually come out better if we are intentional and acknowledging that um, equity does not happen unless we are intentional, especially racial equity. Well, and that brings us to a central point, maybe the central point, because when, when we're talking about the virus disproportionately impacting communities of color, we're not just talking about percentage of positive tests, although that's that's huge. It, it's this economic part. Uh, c- could you talk in a bit more detail about that? Absolutely. So, um, so first, I think um, one relationship with the actual cases Um, And I'm specifically talking about the black community, the whole diaspora, African-American, all the way through to our um, uh, Afro-Latino or Latinx and our um, Afro-Caribbean folks that we are, um, through the work and the types of jobs that we have, 
are disproportionately experiencing these cases. So when folks talk about um, essential workers, you're really talking about um, predominantly um, black people, in, especially in Boston. Um, and so this idea of the connection to economics, so it, it, it cuts two ways. Um, one is we are centrally concentrated before there was ever COVID-19 because of policies, practices, and decisions we made, um, concentrated uh, black people into these lower sector, uh, lower um, wage sectors um, that are also um, more impacted by things like COVID-19. So service industry and about those types of, of positions. And they're also the kind of roles that are needed very much hmm. during this time. Um, and so there's been a lot of talk about essential workers, and I've said this before, but the reality is the lives of those workers are not valued, um, just the work that they do. And so from an economic perspective, we're also seeing that um, black people are the first to get fired um, or laid off. Um, or, uh, when we're talking about these type, types of scenario, COVID-19 is not the first time we've ever had a scenario where um, there were large numbers of, of people laid off. Um, and there's a pattern of black people continuing to experience that disproportionate burden, not to mention the higher unemployment numbers that were existed before COVID-19 that exist now. Um, the data uh, from um, on the unemployment data um, it's particularly scary um, in terms of the uh, number of um, uh, number of black people who have been um, laid off from their jobs. I, I am quite, to be quite frank, very concerned about that. I haven't seen a plan um, for what it means from a workforce development perspective, from a, a small business perspective, all the black businesses who have not been able to reopen their doors and haven't received the support necessary to do that. Um, how we're going to pivot from doing things as, as we have always done them to using this as an opportunity to be innovative. Innovation isn't about only technology. It's about how we approach things, how we think outside of our usual status quo ways of thinking, um, and to be able to connect the dots between the struggle that's happened, that black communities and black people are going through and the larger structural systemic problems um, that are um, are are unfortunately um, impacting um, our communities disproportionately um, and, and our problems that we should um, address because they are also impacting other communities, right? And so um, that we're disproportionately bearing the burden of broken systems and structures. I'm speaking with Dr. Atia Martin. She's a, she's a member of the Black Boston COVID-19 Coalition. Dr. Martin, the, the coalition uh, developed a list of demands upon it, its, its founding. Could you Tell us through, like, talk us through the most central demands and the distance between those demands and our current reality. Mm. I have to tell you that uh, the um, of all the demands, the the ones that are most disheartening, um, are consistent for um, our our requests from the city and the state, and they are what is the amount of money, the percentage of money that is spent through contracts. Um, addressing COVID-19 response um, that are spent on um, uh, MBEs, minority business enterprises. And we asked the city for that data. We also asked the state for that data. We got the city data, but we didn't get it from the mayor's office. We actually got it through city council, uh, through city council and Michelle Wu. And when we got that data, 
um, it was very clear that there was only really one contract that had been awarded to a business of color out of over $17 million um, that has been spent explicitly on COVID-19 response, which parallels with the city's um, uh, low amount of spending with MWBEs prior to COVID-19. Again, you see this pattern of um, the people who are already um, disproportionately burdened with the problems um, of society before there's ever an emergency being disproportionately burdened during the emergency. And when that happens, um, we are, are dealing with not necessarily just the impact of the emergency, but the pulling the covers off of all of these underlying problems. Um, and so um, that, that money that has been um, spent at the city um, is, is incredibly problematic, especially since the usual excuse is that, well, we have to go through a, bid, a bidding um, process. Well, under the state of emergency, they didn't have to go through a bidding process. They could actually try something creative and different. And there were a number of businesses, black businesses in particular, that produced uh, personal protective equipment or PPE um, at the whole spectrum of PPE that were um, offered. And to the reports that have come out, um, only one has been used by the city. Now, the state, we still are waiting for that data. We still have not gotten that data. We met with the mayor to get that data, even though we got it through the city council. We also met with the governor to um, ask for that data, and they're supposed to get it to us. They were supposed to get it to us before the meeting with the governor. We're still waiting for that data, and we suspect that it's going to be just as abysmal. Well, that's actually one thing I was going to ask you about, because I, I know that uh, uh, a member of your group asked Governor Baker at a press conference because you've been asking for, for, for that meeting. And so that, that's happened now. And how did that meeting with the governor go? Um, I would say that um, there was some hesitation, I think, on the governor's uh, part. Um, I think he thought we were there just to beat him up. And that was not, never our intention. We are an organization, a coalition, rather, that is really about um, not just holding people accountable. We hold ourselves accountable, and we also um, see ourselves as partners in the work because we need the mayor and the governor to be successful because that means we're going to be successful if they're doing the best practices approaches, if they're partnering with communities. And so um, so that meeting ultimately um, seemed like he was present um, after we kind of cleared that up and he, he was listening. Um, what the response we got back to some of our concerns, um, we're still working through um, the written responses they sent us back. But I do have to say there was a lot of disappointment with some of the responses to our questions. Um, it tended to be um, the consistent pattern of look at what we've already done as opposed to answering the questions that we were asking. And, and, and in terms of the recovery effort, you know, a, lo a lot of people have, have mentioned being very disappointed in terms of the contracts awarded, the single contract that, that was awarded. Uh, do you uh, have a sense that um, in, in terms of the, uh, the, the, the recovery go, going, uh, going forward, you know, there is a, a health inequities task force, you know, and that, that this looking directly into this. Are, is, is that working? Are they doing enough? So I think the task force um, that the governor has is actually doing the best they can. The reality is, in many cases, um, at the state and local level, uh, task force are not given um, the um, access and, and resources and support they need to be as effective as possible. And so in an ideal world, that health inequities task force 
would be um, lifted up from the uh, Department of Public Health and would be working across um, state agencies, and they would be a part of the decision-making happen, happening at the Massachusetts Emergency Management Agency, MEMA, who is actually leading the emergency management response, the resources, the supplies, all of those things come out of MEMA. And so if we're going to influence the decisions, they need to also have a be a part of the decision-making process and influencing that process at that point of um, decision-making, as opposed to kind of being separate over here and then um, seeing how they can integrate what their recommendations are because things are moving fast and the longer it takes um, for those connections to be made, the more resources and um, uh, uh, support is not getting to where the need, the greatest needs are. Well, I feel like I'm saying this with every interview on the show this week, but we're, we're kind of just scratching the surface here. There, there's a lot to follow and a lot we're going to be following. Dr. Martin, I think we're going to have to come back to you before too long and, and uh, check back in on how things are going. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. And I just want to, um, uh, in addition to thanking you, I want to say I am appreciative of the work that WGH is doing to support uh, getting good quality information out there and sharing the whole spectrum of experiences and perspectives um, so that people can really understand and see the connections between the common struggles that communities are facing, that it's not a, a black struggle. This is not a black struggle. This is a, a struggle uh, to address the problems with our systems. If we don't have a good response plan for COVID-19, that doesn't benefit anyone. And so thank you for creating the space for this. Thanks so much. That's Dr. Atia Martin. She's a member of the Black Boston COVID-19 Coalition. Thanks for listening to In It Together, the podcast from WGBH News in Boston. You can check out full episodes on 89.7 FM if you're in the Boston area, or you can stream online at wgbhnews.org. You can find past episodes there as well. Our show is produced by Amanda Beeland and Matt Baskin. Our technical director is Bill Piacitelli. All music is written and produced by Elio DeLuca. See you tomorrow, and remember, we're all in this together. <laughs>